You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Well, good morning. My name is Jeremy Krause, and I'm one of the pastors here. And this service so far has been straight fire. So if you're a guest with us and you're like, man, that's not really doing it for me. Well, God bless you. Because he's blessing us. Well, thank you again for joining us. Um, This morning, we have the pleasure of having one of our elders, Justin Hamilton, preach from Hebrews 4.14 to 5.10. For those of you who've been with us, you know that we're serious about disciples making disciples for God's glory, reproducing leaders, and working hard to make sure that preachers are trained up and One way we do that then is by sharing the pulpit so that our church is constantly trying to grow more like Jesus, not just being defined by one personality or person behind the pulpit. Amen. Amen. We're also serious about God's word, which if ever of you wondered, why, why do you guys always have us stand? And why do you always say if you have your Bibles and all that stuff? It's because this is where we get the heart of God. We get it from his word. Yeah. And so if you don't have one, please grab one in the chair back so that you can see, or of course we've printed it on the back of a note page. I'm on, going to be reading from page 943 of those seatback Bibles. And of course, you're welcome to take one of these as our gift to you. Here is the living word of our Lord. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I've begotten you. And he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord, and it is true. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of worship services in which we can gather and remind one another how great you are. Christ, we make much of your name and your work. 
thank you for being our high priest. God, we pray you would bless Justin as he preaches this morning. Grant him grace that he would be faithful and clear. This sermon would be relevant. You would inspire him spirit that those who don't know you who are here with us today would leave saying, wow, God was there. Give us soft hearts, strong minds. God, we pray you'd bless Justin. You'd also bless other gospel preachers in this city on this morning. We think of Jonathan Drendel down at Gardner at this church plant just got launched. Pray you'd bless Jonathan and that congregation. They would hear your true words, Lord, and they would respond. For other churches, New City, Christ Community, Christ Church Anglican, Journey Bible Church, others that I'm forgetting, we pray, Christ, you would be made much of, you would be the hero of every sermon, you would win the lost, courage those who know you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Thanks, Jer. When our kids were in preschool, we developed a friendship with one of the teachers. And even after those preschool years, we stayed in touch. You see, this friend, she was not a Christian, but she knew that we were, and she's even been in this building uh, a couple times for a baby dedication and a baptism. Well, after several years of friendship, she reached out and expressed for really the first time a desire to know more about God. So we had her over to our home for dinner. She shared that her brother was battling an illness and it got her wondering about God. So we talked for a long time. She shared some heavy stuff with us. During that conversation, we were able to share the gospel. And you know what? I think it was the first time she ever really heard it. When we got to the part about we are all sinners, we need forgiveness to be spared from God's wrath, she was shocked. Wait, I'm a sinner, but I'm a good person. And you know what? She is. By the world's standards, she is a good, kind, caring person. But that was her hang-up. While she was open to the existence of God, had some level of desire to know him, she couldn't fathom that she was a sinner in need of a sacrifice for her sins. If I can put it in the terms of the book of Hebrews, she didn't believe she needed a high priest. Well, good morning. I'm Justin, one of the elders here at Mill Creek. If you have your Bibles, and we hope you do, turn to today's scripture, Hebrews 4, 14 through 5, 10. In today's scripture, the author has a theme that he's briefly mentioned before, but to us, it's a bit surprising. He is saying that all of us, not just the Old Testament Jews, not just my friend who didn't recognize that she was a sinner, all of us need a high priest. Now, you probably didn't come in here today with the first thing on your mind being that you need a high priest. But before you leave, my goal is that we all clearly see our need for a high priest, and not just any high priest, the superior high priest. So today's passage, the author has three big ideas. We're going to hit those three big ideas, but just so you know, I'm actually going to preach it slightly out of order. As it turns out, the best way to unpack today's scripture is to start with what we see in chapter 5, then we're going to circle back to that portion in chapter 4. Stick around, I think that's the best part. So, 
Before we get into chapter five, let's make sure we understand some background information about both the high priest and the Jewish temple. Our original audience of this book, a group of Jewish people living in the Roman Empire, they would have been familiar with the roles and the customs of the high priest. But for us today, unless you've like, been to seminary and done Old Testament studies, or your life group has done like a deep dive in the book of Leviticus, and if you have, I bet that is a very small life group. <laughs> you probably don't know that much about the high priest. So here's what we need to know. At any given time, there was one high priest for all the Israeli people. He was a big deal. He was revered and honored. Now, there were many priests who served the day-to-day -day needs of the people, conducted all the temple activities, but they were all under this one high priest. And his most important role was on one special day of the year. It was called the Day of Atonement. That's when he passed through the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. And there he offered sacrifices in the very presence of God. Now we're gonna do a deeper dive into the Day of Atonement in a few weeks when we get to Hebrews chapter nine. But for now, here's what we need to realize. There's only one high priest and he can do this only once a year. Here's what we need to know about the Jewish temple. Gentiles, like most of us here today, they had to stay in the outer court. There was an inner court that was just for the Israelite people. And then there was a space within that that was only for the priests. The priests could go into a holy place. That's where they performed specific rituals and sacrifices. But then inside that holy place, there was that curtain. Behind it was the Holy of Holies. Only one who could ever pass through that was the high priest and only on the Day of Atonement. Okay, so now we've introduced the high priest and the temple that would have been familiar to the original audience. So we come to our, our sermon's first big idea where we identify the Old Testament high priest. So we see in verses one through four, the author is gonna lay out some key traits, qualifications for the high priest. So let's look at verse one. We find that the high priest is the one who acts on behalf of the people in relation to God. So if you're taking notes, write that down. You see, God is holy. He is fundamentally different than man. We see in the book of Genesis, his original design was to reside among us. But Adam and Eve, they ruined that. After their sin in the Garden of Eden, they were kicked out, no longer able to be in God's presence. And as a result of that sin nature that we inherit from Adam and also our own sinful choices, we are unworthy to be near God. And for us modern readers, there are so many strange laws and regulations in the Old Testament, in the Levitical system. For example, people are called unclean if they touch a dead body, if they contact or eat the wrong food. And there are a surprising number of regulations related to bodily fluids and bodily functions. And while it seems weird on the surface, all those things, they're earthly. They're related to mortality, death, and decay, which is the opposite of a holy, perfect, immortal God. So these priests, they were set apart. They actually avoided a lot of those normal earthly things they had rituals that helped them become pure, and because of that, were allowed to approach God on behalf of the people. So that's our first truth about the high priest. 
We need someone who acts on our behalf in relation to God. Okay, so the second thing about the high priest, we see this in verses 2 and 3. He is sympathetic to the people. Again, if you're taking notes, write that down. While the high priest acts on our behalf, he's also one of us. That means, of course, in the case of the Old Testament high priest, he's not perfect either. But that means he can have compassion and deal gently with those who need God's forgiveness. Even on the Day of Atonement, that high priest, he first had to give sacrifices for his sins. If he was not ceremonially pure when he passed through that curtain into the Holy of Holies, it could cost him his life. Every high priest was a sinner who also needed sacrifice and forgiveness, but that means he has a connection to the people that he's representing to God. He's sympathetic to the people. Okay? And then the third thing that we have in this section, we see that the high priest is called by God. The high priest was not elected the way we elect our leaders in a democratic society. The high priest wasn't always the firstborn son of the previous high priest, like you see in a democracy. He's only, sorry, in a, in a monarchy. He's only the high priest because God appoints him. Okay, so three things to remember. The characteristics of a high priest. Acts on behalf of the people in relation to God, sympathetic to the people, and called by God. Well, I told you earlier about our friend, the preschool teacher. She couldn't recognize that she needed a high priest. Well, now I'd like to tell you about another friend of mine who also struggled with the high priest, but his reasons were different. His name is Paul. Paul was my best friend in middle school. Like most boys that age, we spent our time playing sports, playing video games, talking about girls. But Paul and I also had deep conversations. And I, I think that's rare for boys that age. I did not go that deep with any of my other friends. I mean, we talked about politics, psychology, morality, and religion. Now, Paul was not a Christian, but he did have a lot of questions about God. Paul and I went our separate ways after high school. He joined the Navy, and then after that, he took one of those top security federal government jobs where he can't even really tell me what he does. But because of his work for the past 25 years, he's rarely in the United States. But his parents still live in the area. Every couple years, he makes it back, and he always looks me up. We go to dinner, and just like the good old days, we talk for hours. One of those visits, a few years back, we had a real deep conversation about Jesus. Now, Paul knows I'm a believer, and unlike my friend, the preschool teacher, he understood the gospel message, and he also realized he was a sinner. I mean, his life was kind of a mess, and I think he knew that he needed some form of rescue. At one point in the conversation that night, I remember him saying, okay, so Jesus is the son of God, so he's perfect and he didn't sin. Big deal. If I was the son of God, I'd be perfect too. And I remember saying something like, well, okay, but you're not, so maybe you need him. And it went on for a while like this, but I remember at the end of the night, this is how he finished. He said, all right, Justin, so... I've got to decide if I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And if I believe in him, I'm saved. Man, I, I kind of want to, but that's just like too simple and too perfect. I don't think I can buy that. You see, my friend Paul, he wanted things to be complicated. He felt like he needed to do something. Like he had to work to be right with God. 
Like he had to earn it. He was okay with like a little bit of this Jesus guy sprinkled into his beliefs, but he couldn't go all in. The first friend I told you about, the preschool teacher, she rejected that she was a sinner. In other words, she didn't think she needed a high priest. Now, Paul, even though he probably wouldn't have put it in these words, I think he recognized that he needed a high priest, but he wanted to do something. He wanted it to be more complicated, so he rejected the true high priest. So that brings us to our second idea. The author has told us about who the Old Testament high priest is. Now, in verse 5, we're moving to this next big idea. There is a superior high priest. So back in verse 4, we saw that the high priest must be appointed by God. Well, if you look at verse 5, this is where our author is proving this point. And he's quoting Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. Now, Jesus is not only a man chosen by God, like a typical high priest, but even beyond that, he's the one and only son. So he is uniquely appointed by the Father for this role as the great high priest. Those are the words that we see. If you're taking notes, write that down. Jesus is appointed by the Father. And then if we move to verse 6, we actually see a big claim about Jesus here by our author. He's claiming that Jesus calling as a high priest is actually superior to that earthly calling of a high priest. So to make this point, I actually want to do a little Bible trivia. And this is one of those rare times in church where if you get a question from up here, you're allowed to answer. So here we go. Let, let, me, let me hear if you think you know the answer to this. It's the first of two questions. Which tribe of Israel did Aaron and Moses belong to? I'm, I'm hearing the right one. Yeah, Levi. They were Levites as in the book of Leviticus, the Levitical priesthood. All right? Second question. Which tribe of Israel did Jesus belong to? Judah. Hmm. The kings of Israel, the line of David, they were from the tribe of Judah. But the high priests, like Aaron, they were Levites. So the original audience may have actually questioned if Jesus could be a high priest. We see the answer in verse 6. Our author is, is addressing this by using Psalm 110, verse 4. The words are, I priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, in case you haven't like, seen a recent documentary about Melchizedek, <laughs> here's the scoop. He's a mysterious character. He shows up in the book of Genesis. And we're going to learn a lot more about Melchizedek in a few weeks when we get to chapter 7. But here's the important thing to know about him. Melchizedek was the ancient priest and king of Salem. Now, Salem is not just a random place. Salem later became Jerusalem, you know, the holy city, the capital of Israel. And Melchizedek is actually the priest who anointed Abraham. That means he was way before Aaron. He was way before Aaron's ancestor Levi. He was before Levi's dad Jacob, and he was before Jacob's grandfather Abraham. Now keep in mind, in earlier portions of Hebrews that we've been studying through, first we learned that Jesus is greater than angels. Then we learned that Jesus is greater than Moses, the hero who led them out of slavery in Egypt and gave them the Torah law. Last week we learned that he's greater than Joshua. That's the guy who led them to the promised land. He's their great general. He's like their George Washington. And now our author is telling us that Jesus is greater than the high priest Aaron. His priesthood 
is greater than that Levitical priesthood because he even precedes Abraham. So, having established was was appointed by the Father and superior even to the Levitical high priest, the author is now showing us that Jesus is sympathetic to the people. You might write that down. So remember back in verses 2 and 3, the normal high priest was able to sympathize with the people. Well, here in verses 7 and 8, our author is making that parallel with Jesus. But there is one critical difference, and we're going to get to that in a minute. Jesus, during his time on earth, he faced temptation and he suffered. Verse 7 refers to prayers and supplications, loud cries and tears. This reminds us of Jesus' time in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he was arrested. He was praying. He was in anguish because he knew what was about to happen to him. It wasn't easy. And if there were any other way, he pleaded with the Father to avoid what was about to happen. But since it was the only way, he did it. He submitted to the Father's will. That's the meaning of the word reverence that you see in verse 7. Now, guys, we have to get this fact. Jesus was human in every way. Remember my, Paul, my friend Paul and his sarcastic response? I don't think he understood that. We're told in the Bible that Jesus cried, that he bled, that he was hungry, he was thirsty, he got angry, he lost sleep due to stress, and he felt loneliness. He has felt what we feel. We're also told of Jesus' temptation. He was tempted. And I think that the description we have of Jesus' temptation implies that it was possible that he could give in. Now, he didn't, thank God, but it seems that it was possible. Because he was tempted, he is, like the high priest, sympathetic to us. He knows what it's like. And also, Jesus suffered. He suffered physically more than most people will ever likely suffer. We know from the gospel accounts that Jesus was forced to carry his cross from the city of Jerusalem, outside the wall to the hill called Calvary, where he was crucified. Have you ever wondered why Jesus didn't carry his cross the whole way? The Roman guards, they had to force another man, his name was Simon of Cyrene, to carry it for Jesus because he was physically unable to do it. Why? Because of what he had already been through. First, we're told that he was beaten with fists. I have to admit, in my youth, I got into a few fights, and I did not win them all. And I can tell you, getting punched in the face really hurts. And when it's by a group of Roman soldiers, that alone is enough to kill a man. But on top of that, we're told that he was flogged. That means he was whipped in a way that would have torn the skin and the muscles away from his back. He also had a crown of thorns shoved onto his head. And then we're told he was beaten repeatedly with a staff. That's like getting beaten with a wooden baseball bat. Jesus was tortured and then suffered the agonizing pain of death by crucifixion. So while Jesus, fully God and fully human, faced temptation and suffered, 
And that shows us that he meets the qualifications of the high priest, sympathetic to the people. His is a greater priesthood because he did it without sin. That's the critical difference between the normal high priest and Jesus. Now let's, let's look at verse 9. He was made perfect. What does that mean? Well, this is referring to his resurrection. We should not take this to mean that Jesus was somehow less than perfect before, but it means that the mission is complete. God's plan of redemption was complete through Jesus' perfection. You see, if Jesus were just a normal high priest who could only offer the people that temporary limited atonement of the sacrificial system, no, Jesus is so much more than that. Do you realize if Jesus would have been an imperfect sinner like all of us, he would have remained in the grave. He only defeated death, was resurrected on the third day because he was without sin. And because he was made perfect, God's plan was complete through his death and resurrection, we can have, the author uses the words, eternal salvation through him. Not that limited, temporary, ritual atonement of the Levitical priesthood, eternal salvation. And this is free to all who obey. You see the word obey here? What What does it mean in this context? Well, it's, it's different than how my kids obey when we tell them to do their chores. They roll their eyes, but they do it anyway because they know they might lose their iPad. Now, the, the original Greek word that's translated obey here means to submit with full allegiance. So if I can take the author's main points and try to sum up the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ in like one sentence, here it is. We are all sinners, but all those who believe in and submit to Jesus, the great high priest, receive eternal salvation. You know, the guy who's usually up here, he's a Denver Broncos fan. Today you got a Chiefs fan. And on a Sunday, a couple weeks ago, we saw a Super Bowl winning drive in overtime. As cool as that victory was, That is so temporary. It is nothing compared to the victory that occurred on a Sunday a couple thousand years ago when Jesus stepped out of that tomb, resurrected and perfected. That's the real victory. That's the high priest we all need. Okay, so we've established who the high priest is, and our author has shown us that Jesus is the superior high priest. Now, he wants us to go all the way with Jesus. This original audience, if they would have just seen Jesus on par with that sacrificial system they grew up in, it would have been easy to abandon the faith in the face of persecution. But the author is hammering home, Jesus is far superior. Leave that old temple system behind. It can't save you, only Jesus can. So if you're a believer and you're sitting here today, you're thinking, I I get it, I know, I need a high priest. And you might not think that the author's point really applies that much to you. But let me ask you this. How often do you try to earn your place with God through your actions? Now, I know there aren't many of us here who grew up in the Jewish temple system, but we do have a modern parallel. 
it, it mirrors what the original audience was facing. For some reason, and I think it's the sinful pride that we all have, there's this natural desire to earn our place. Just like this audience of Hebrews, it's easy for us to add works and other complications and requirements to our religion. See, ultimately, that was the issue with my friend Paul. He was searching for something complicated, something that depended on him, where he could earn his way through his actions. And even my friend, the preschool teacher, her issue was also pride, not being able to admit that she's a sinner. But they are not the only ones. Any system that requires our works, that plays on our pride. But that is in conflict with the gospel message of Jesus. Now, everyone has a worldview, whether they realize it or not. Those worldviews that completely exclude God, they all have something in common. They focus on the individual, the self, the actions that we can take to succeed. And those worldviews that do include some form of God, but don't include Jesus Christ, they also focus on our actions, claiming with the right steps, the right rituals, avoiding the wrong things, we can earn our way. That theme is true for Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, and sadly, especially here in America, where we've got Christian-ish roots, there are many places that give lip service to Jesus, but in reality, they reduce who the, who the true Jesus is, and they elevate works or other beliefs to replace him. It, it seems to me that my Roman Catholic friends, they rely more on priestly confessions, rituals, repetitive prayers, than the gospel truth of Jesus. And I actually grew up with a few Mormons, and they were trying to follow this impossible list of rules to make it. Now, Mormon theology is twisted in many ways, but most importantly, it denies the true Jesus. If anyone is adding works to the full and finished work of Jesus, they're denying the true high priest. And guys, there are churches all around the metro today, all across the United States, they might have a cross on the building. They might even throw out a couple Bible verses. But in many of those places, sadly, they are not teaching the gospel. Instead, people are going to leave there today, pat themselves on the back because they feel like they're being a better person. But, and I love this equation that I've heard up here before. Jesus, the great high priest, plus nothing equals salvation. Any church that teaches anything else no matter how good it sounds, misses the mark. Again, the, the gospel in a sentence. We are all sinners, but only those who believe in and submit to Jesus, the great high priest, receive eternal salvation. So now we circle back to chapter 4. Our author implores us to hold fast our, con our confession. We see that in verse 14. What does he mean by this? He means to believe and obey the gospel. Don't slide back into that old sacrificial system, because if we do hold fast, we have a high priest who sits in heaven at the right hand of the Father. We don't need an earthly high priest to go into an earthly temple. That temple we talked about earlier, that's just a shadow of heaven, and the earthly high priest is just a shadow of Jesus. The earthly temple, no longer needed. The earthly high priest, no longer needed. 
Because Jesus, the true high priest, is actually in heaven. Remember, whether you walked in here today realizing it or not, we all need a high priest. But unlike the old high priest of Levi, our superior high priest doesn't need to repeat the rituals every year. It's been fulfilled for all time because, as noted in verse 15, he was perfect. He was without sin. And finally, because we have the great high priest, it tells us to draw near the throne of grace. Guys, consider how amazing that statement is. In that old sacrificial system, only the high priest could draw near the throne of grace, which would have referenced him going behind the curtain into the Holy of Holies. And he could only draw near after careful purification rituals, or his own shortcomings could cost him his life. But now, because of Jesus, we, we are seen as pure, righteous enough to be in God's presence. Remember that curtain in the temple? Did you know the moment Jesus died, that curtain that separated the Holy of Holies, it was torn in two. We can now do what previously only the priest could do. In fact, Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we are part of a royal priesthood. And you remember how the high priest, he had to be very careful going into the Holy of Holies because of his own sin and imperfection? It brings up a question. Should we be afraid to draw near the throne of grace since we're all sinners? The answer is no. We can draw near with confidence. We can do this because we are no longer naked and exposed, words that were used back in verse 13, but we are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus, the great high priest. We can go directly to God in heaven through prayer. We can do it with confidence, and he hears us. And I will admit, there are times where I feel completely unworthy to draw near to God in prayer. Do you ever feel that way? It's tempting, but it's actually wrong. If you are a Christian, even though we are still sinful and sometimes downright awful, we are seen as perfect in the Father's eyes because of the perfection of Jesus. So draw near, always. What an awesome privilege. So if and only if we believe and obey Jesus, we are forgiven, we are blameless in the eyes of God, and we can always draw near the throne of grace. You see why having Jesus as our high priest is so crucial? If you walked in here today unaware of your need for a high priest, I hope you understand now. And we don't just have any high priest, we have the high priest, the superior high priest. In Jesus, we have the only high priest who could ever fully and finally pass through the true holy of holies into heaven and not just live to talk about it, he is there today interceding to the Father on our behalf. My friend, the preschool teacher, she needs to realize that she does need a high priest. My friend Paul, he needs to realize that Jesus is that true and superior high priest he needs. And, and guys, as it stands today, both of them are still lost. Those are sad stories. I'm still praying for them. Please join me that one day they would trust Jesus as their high priest. Now, I told you about those two friends. I'd like to tell you about one more. Some of you may know my wife, Erin. She's an eye doctor. Um, and for the last 16 years, she shared a practice with another doctor. His name was John. And our families became friends outside of work. 
We had dinners together, office Christmas parties. Uh, I joined John shooting and fishing in a men's ministry that he led, and one of his daughters babysat our kids regularly. And one evening, a couple years ago, we got a call from John. He had some difficult news to share. He had just learned that he had an aggressive form of cancer. The doctors gave him about a year to live. Now, John was a Christian the whole time that I knew him. But after that diagnosis, he was especially on fire for Jesus. John could have taken off work after that diagnosis, but he actually chose to keep working. You see, it's recommended you see your eye doctor once a year. That means John was likely to see each of his patients one more time. And I heard some of the stories. Those patients got more than an eye exam. He was examining their souls as well. John also made a list of people that he wanted to invest in. In Mill Creek terms, they were his blessed friends. These were people who didn't know Jesus. And you know, out of respect for John, they listened. He spent that time courageously fighting cancer and sharing the message of Jesus. And you know, I guess one small bright spot, if you know you're dying, you get to plan your own funeral. John made it almost 18 months, but last summer we went to his funeral. But it didn't feel like a funeral. It felt like a worship service. The Lord was praised, the gospel was preached, just like John had planned it. And the place was packed because John was loved and admired. And many people that were lost heard the gospel. And at that funeral, what I found interesting, there wasn't that much said about what a good doctor or a successful business professional John was, even though that was true. There wasn't even that much said about what a good father and husband he was, even though that was certainly true as well. And fun fact about John, he actually played college football. For a time, he was a walk-on for the mighty Nebraska Cornhuskers, one of the best programs in the land. For a lot of guys, that would be like the highlight of their life. But you know what? That wasn't even mentioned. Because it doesn't matter. In the end, all that matters is Jesus. John knew that Jesus was the great high priest. Man, he held fast. He drew near the throne of grace. And I don't pretend to understand why God called him home in what seemed like the prime of his life. He was only 52. But I know this. One fine day, I will see my friend in glory. Well, here's how I want to end this morning. I want to ask everyone here, where do you stand? Either Jesus is your high priest, like the author once for the Hebrews and like my friend John, or you reject the high priest like my other two friends, and like every other religion in the world. To me, it, it brings to mind the two criminals crucified alongside Jesus, one on his right, one on his left. Let's read from Luke 23. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said? Since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And look at this. Jesus answered him, 
Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Picture those three crosses. I believe everyone on earth can associate with one of them. Now let's be clear. The one in the middle, only one man can bear that cross. His name is Jesus. For the rest of us, I think we belong on one of those other two. That first guy, when face to face with the great high priest, rejects him. He mocked him. He decided to face death on his own, and eternal separation from God is what followed. But look at that second criminal. You'll notice that he doesn't say, I'm innocent, I shouldn't be up here. No, he freely admits that he is a guilty criminal who deserves his death penalty. He also doesn't say, I know I'm a criminal, but I also did some good things in my life, and I think they outweigh the bad. No, we could not have a clearer example of someone who brings nothing to the table. All that guy has is belief in the great high priest, and that was all he needed. I'm glad to say I'm with that guy. That's my cross. Jesus is my high priest. Is he yours? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. We marvel at the way it all works in harmony. The entire Old Testament, it all points to you, Jesus. I pray for those here today who don't know you, that they would recognize their need for a Savior. They would believe in and submit to you. And I pray that those who do know you, that we will remember to rely only on the works of Jesus, not on our own works. Help us to hold fast and draw near to your throne, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.